Welcome to another episode of the Amford Church Sermon Podcast. We're thrilled that you're taking the time to listen to what we have to say about God, the world, and you. These sermons are recorded live during our weekly Sunday morning services. To find out more about us or to plan a visit to join us, check out our website, amfordchurch.com. Again, thanks for listening and enjoy. One Corinthians chapter six, and I probably need to warn you that um, today's sermon and passage isn't the most comfortable to preach or to listen to. One Corinthians chapter six. Let me pray, and then we'll get stuck in. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it isn't just a list of rules for us, um, but that it's life because we get to see the Lord Jesus. So we pray that you would help us to see Him more clearly today. Lord, we pray that you'd give us a deeper grasp of the reality of Jesus' life that he lives today, and Lord, of his death for us, and of his resurrection, Lord, and the hope that we have in the future. And as we think on that, Lord, we pray that you would help us as we're challenged about our own lives. Um, Father, we pray that you would um, give us open hearts to hear your Spirit speaking to us. We pray that you would give us humble hearts, that we would, uh, Lord, if today is a rebuke for us, Lord, that we would take that in the spirit it is given, Lord, that we would know that that's your um, loving, fatherly discipline of us. And Lord, we pray if we're struggling with having really failed, feeling shame, feeling um, broken, feeling squashed down, feeling dirty, Lord, we pray that you would help us today, that you would clothe us where there's shame, Father, that you would clean us where there's dirtiness. Lord, we don't want to be people who run away from you, who just hide in the shadows, We don't want to be people who doubt your goodness to us. We want to be those people who trust you and, Lord, who build our lives on your faithful and true word. Lord, that we might know real joy, that we might know what it is to be fully human, that we might know what it is to be all that you made us to be. Lord, as we come to this passage today, we pray that you would help us. um, Give us the right hearts, the right posture of our hearts to listen to you. And, Lord, would you give us strength and faith to go and put into action all that we hear, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, as I said, but actually we're going to start at chapter 5 and just give you a little bit of the backstory. Last couple of weeks, we've been looking at, um, at the, the letter, thank you, thanks Rods, the letter to the church in Corinth, a church that was really struggling with all, all sorts of really messed up issues. The last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the problems of unity that they were struggling with. Um, that they were, there was kind of backbiting and, and cliques, people following this leader and that leader and kind of looking down on each other because of that. Well, this week we come to a problem which is much more awkward, much more intimate. At least it is for us anyway. Because for the Corinthians, actually, as we'll see, it was something which was much more public than we would treat it, as it was something much more kind of literally open, literally visible in Corinth. Let's have a look at what it is. Beginning of chapter 5. Read a a verse and a half there, and then we'll go over to chapter 6. It's actually reported, Paul says to them, that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that doesn't even occur among pagans. A man has his father's wife, that's probably his stepmom, and you're proud. Shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief? You're proud of it. Shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief? That's the beginning of the problems uh, for the people in Corinth. But it wasn't just this one guy. You turn over to chapter 6. Let me read to you um, verse 12 to 20. 
And we'll hear of much wider problems of kind of sexual immorality there. Everything is permissible for me. That's something they were saying, kind of in quote marks. That's what, one of their phrases, one of their slogans. And Paul says, no, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food. But God will destroy them both. And the body isn't meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. We'll carry on reading that in a moment. But you see what the problem was in Corinth? There was sexual immorality. We'll get to what that means in a minute. There was prostitution, people going around and just sleeping with prostitutes. And there was a guy, one guy in particular, who had even gone so far as to get into bed with and start up some kind of relationship with his stepmother. And they were proud of it. They were going, look how free we are. Well, where on earth did they get those kind of ideas? How on earth did that start happening in the church? Well, we need to know a little bit about Corinth. I think Sammy talked a bit a couple of weeks ago about the culture, but Corinth was a really sexually liberal place. If you've ever heard people say, oh, no, look, the Bible was written in a, like a really prudish um, old culture where nobody did anything, where everyone was embarrassed about sex, it's completely, complete nonsense. The Bible, this, the earliest letter in, in the New Testament, is written to Corinth. Corinth was a place that was way more sexually liberal than our, even our own culture is today. Almost every adult was married, but wives were for giving you heirs. You didn't want to kind of, it was just a bit weird to have a kind of romantic, kind of close sexual relationship with your wife. You would have that if you wanted that kind of thing, and everybody knows, at least they did in Corinth, that's what men wanted. And it was basically an uncontrollable desire for men, according to the Corinthians. So men were allowed to have as many other women as they wanted. Essentially, you might, you might have a, um, a kind of, uh, I can't remember what you call it, but the kind of somebody who's like a consort, you know, somebody who's not your wife, but who basically you hang around with, and you have their kind of romantic relationship with them. But also, it, you know, if you were coming home from work one day, it'd been a hard day, it'd be a completely normal thing just to turn into one of the temples there and go and sleep with a prostitute. Absolutely nothing wrong with that if you were a bloke. And if you had lots of slaves and servants in your house, then they were yours as well, man or woman, boy or girl. There was basically no holds barred. If you were a man in Corinth, you could do what you want. And everybody understood that that was what it was. If you were a woman, I'm afraid it was much trickier for you. Because to sleep with anybody that wasn't your husband, that was adultery. So you aren't allowed to do that, but men are allowed to do what they want. So you can see Corinthian culture is pretty messed up. Pretty messed up. And you can see where the Corinthian church had kind of got their attitudes and their ideas. Except that they had taken it another level. Because Corinthians, they would, have, they would have really balked at the idea of you sleeping with somebody's wife. That was not a good thing. I mean, anybody else, fair game, but not somebody's wife. But this guy has even gone a kind of almost incestuous way to take his dad's wife. Just very, very weird. And so some people in the church in Corinth have reported it to Paul written a letter to him or kind of sent word and just said, Paul, there's all this stuff going on and we're just not really sure about it. Can you help us out? And Paul writes to them really strong words, doesn't he? This kind of immorality among you, even a kind that doesn't occur among pagans, what are you doing? A man has his father's wife and you're proud of it? Shouldn't you rather be filled with grief and kind of do something about it? 
don't be proud, you should mourn. How does that behavior fit in with what I taught you about Jesus? Paul is saying to them, don't you know? Don't you know? Don't you know? That phrase comes up about seven times in the next chapter or two. He's trying to remind them and kind of call them back to Jesus, to the reality of who he is, the reality of what he's done on the cross, and to the reality of what's in store for us in the future, particularly to do with our bodies. See, because this is where the Corinthians were going wrong. Um, Sammy mentioned a couple of weeks ago that Corinthians is a book where Paul tries to kind of put back on the lenses of the gospel of Christ and the cross. Do you remember that? He's trying to help them with their short-sightedness, with their insanity in all sorts of different areas, where the problem is basically they've forgotten the gospel or they're such kind of spiritual babies that they just don't know how to feed themselves. They're just kind of soaking up the ideas and the values of the culture around them and living like that rather than applying the cross to all of life. So this is what he's doing here. Do you see what he's about to do? He's about to rip out the wiring of their brains and put it all back together again in line with Jesus and his gospel, in line with the good and life-giving news of God's, God's word to us on sexuality, what our bodies are for. So let's go and read the rest of chapter 6. Maybe you can see what they're doing. You can see that, they're, that their thinking's crazy. There's the first few verses. And then see how Paul tries to rewire it. Let me read it for you again. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 from verse 12. They're saying, everything is permissible for me. And Paul goes, no, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me. Okay, sure, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food. See what they're saying, that sex is just an appetite, just like food. You know, if you fancy it, well, go and have a sandwich. If you're feeling like you need to sneeze, well, then sneeze. You've got an itch, scratch the itch. If you want to have sex, just do it. Food for the body, food for the stomach, and the stomach for food. But God will destroy them both. The body, so he gets into the rewiring, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ, as in his body parts, and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Don't get distracted by just talk of prostitution as if kind of he's just shooting at that. No, prostitution is how you went about sleeping with somebody who wasn't your husband or wife in, in Corinth. Um, sexual immorality that he's talking about. That's a really broad kind of Greek word. It's the word porneia. If he wanted to talk about adultery, you know, sleeping with somebody else's husband or wife, there's a different word for that. This is the really wide word. This is absolutely any kind of sexual activity that isn't with your husband or wife. That's what it is. Absolutely everything. I'll talk about that a bit more in a, in a second. But don't think it's just the guys who are going to sleep with prostitutes. It's everybody in the church who he's talking to. So do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. So flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. If you want one verse to take home, it's this one. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. 
Therefore, honor God with your body. So there's, I've got kind of three Ps for you today, by the way. The problem in Corinth, the kind of principles that Paul tries to rewire in in their minds, and then the practice. What are you supposed to do about that? So what's the problem? Well, we talked about it already. The problem is porneia. The problem is sexual immorality. This guy who's doing this crazy thing with his stepmom and everybody else as well. How do we know that? Well, because Paul is just building on, kind of expanding Jesus' teaching. We go back to Matthew chapter 5 and see how does Jesus define sexual immorality. Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, verse 27, Jesus says, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery, like it says in, in uh, the Ten Commandments. So then everybody maybe who's listening to Jesus hears him say that and go, okay, good. Well, I'm pretty sure that's one I can tick off, especially in a Jewish culture. You know, not much sleeping around there. So maybe for us too. I haven't slept with anybody who's not my husband or wife. So, okay, I can tick that off. But then Jesus says, essentially, hold, hold on. You've heard it says, don't commit adultery. But I say to you, anybody who even looks at somebody else lustfully, who has lustful thoughts in their mind, has committed adultery with them. Jesus takes it to like a stratospheric degree. He doesn't just say, don't touch anybody. Don't end up in bed with somebody who's not your husband or wife. He says, don't even think about them. What's lust? Lust is where you ask, what can you give me? It's the opposite of love, isn't it? Love is say what, was where you say, what can I give to you? So lust is thinking about, is consuming, is taking somebody else, even in your own thoughts, even when they don't even know about it, and using them, taking from them. Jesus is really serious about that. He says, even that is adultery. Even that is something that is not fit for humans. It's not what you were made for. It's something beneath what he created this to be. So, so what's the problem? Well, that's the problem in Corinth, is that everybody is doing that. And I think it's probably a problem with us today. I can say that with almost complete certainty, that if you've been through puberty, you are a sexual sinner. If you're not, maybe you can come and let me know how you've managed it afterwards. But whether you're a virgin or not, married or not, whoever you are, if you've been through puberty, you're a sexual sinner. It's not me saying that, it's Jesus at least I know what my mind is like, and I'm pretty sure you're all human too. So there's a problem in the church, and it's what they do and think. But it's deeper than just what they do and think in like a sexual way. They do it because they, they don't know God, or they don't know what God thinks of their bodies. There's some kind of even deeper problem, because all of that activity, all of that pornea, all of that sexual immorality is really just a symptom of something deeper going on. So what's going on with them? What's going on is what we read in the first couple of verses in chapter, in chapter 6, verse 12. Some people say, everything is permissible for me. Other people say, well, food for the stomach and the stomach for food. What's that attitude all about? That attitude is this, that you think that sex is just an appetite. Some people think of that, that it's no big deal. You know, like I said, if you're hungry, eat a Snickers. If you're turned on, do whatever you need to do. The body isn't really that important anyway. That's one attitude. Sex is nothing. Sex is small. Sex is cheap. And then the other attitude is something maybe we passed over or missed out, is this, this attitude that when you say everything is permissible, I can do whatever I want, you are really, really in danger of being controlled by that thing, of sex before long not being nothing to you, but being everything to you. Can you see that in the beginning? This is the problem with the Corinthians. Some of them think it's nothing. It's no big deal, just like eating a sandwich. Others of them are really in danger of it becoming, of consuming their whole lives, of taking their eyes away from Jesus 
of being the thing that they think about and aim for, even unconsciously. It's, it's controlling them. It's mastering them. That's the problem that they have. I wonder, can you relate to that? Can you see that in our own culture as well? People saying, look, sex is no big deal. So long as you consent, so long as they're an adult, just go and do what you want to do. You see that, don't we, in our culture? It, the kind of cheap view of sex is it's nothing much. It's just another bodily urge and desire. But on the other hand, if you follow the Me Too movement, you'll know that really we know it's, it's not a small thing. We know it's not something cheap and easy to just do and forget about. Like, I don't know, anybody remember what they had for lunch last Tuesday? No, but, okay, anybody, anybody ever reported somebody at work for taking your lunch out of the fridge? No. But anybody ever, well, reported somebody at work for having taken your dignity in sexual assault? It's something much deeper, isn't it? We just know that. So the Corinthians, all right, they have these two different ideas that aren't quite right. What does Paul do about those? Well, that's the problem. Paul wants to dig deeper into the problem to plant a seed of life in there, to plant a seed of hope and beauty in their brokenness. So how does he do it? Well, he does it like this. He gives them a few, a few principles. The first is a principle about freedom. Everything's permissible for me. They say, oh, look, everything's permissible for me. I can do what I want to do. And that might have even come from Paul's preaching, where Paul preached that God had come to earth to do everything in your place, to live a perfect life, the life you could never live. And that's true. Jesus was the only man who never sinned sexually. He was perfect. And then he went and died for you and rose again on the third day to bring you to heaven. You see, most other religions give you some kind of ladder to work with. You know, that you're supposed to climb up a ladder and get to God. Be really good and holy and do this, don't do that, and get to God. But Paul was saying, God has come down to us. He's done everything. He gives you salvation. He gives you his love. He gives you forgiveness and freedom as a gift. And so the Corinthians have maybe taken that on board and gone, all right, we can do what we want then. And Paul says, yes, you're free. Did you see, he doesn't say no. They say everything is permissible for me. And he basically says, yes. But remember, not everything is beneficial. Look, everything's permissible for me. Yes, you are forgiven. God has given you everything as a gift. You don't have to climb up your ladders of sexual purity into heaven. Everything is permissible for me, but I won't be mastered by anything. So remember this about freedom. Freedom needs fences. We're free as Christians to enjoy God's good gifts. This sermon isn't a, we're all sexually immoral, so we need to start trying harder. That's not what we do in this church. We come to Jesus and we do something far more life-giving than just climbing up um, a ladder to God or trying a little bit harder when we mess up. Paul says, yes, you're free, but ask a question. Is what you want to do in that freedom going to benefit others and you? You see, usually when we, when we think of, we want to do something, when we're tempted, I know, when there's something we're thinking about doing, we ask the question, what's wrong with it? Paul says, flip it around, ask a different question. Ask, what is right with this? What is good about this? What could I do with this? Is it something that's going to bring life and flourishing and beauty? Is it something that's going to build this person up? So when you want to go and sleep with somebody, ask that question. It's a much better question than our culture has, I think, isn't it? Our culture says, just ask if they consent or not. And if they say yes, then fine, as long as they're of age. But, but, but this here, Paul is saying, you're free to enjoy God's wonderful gift of sex. But ask, is it going to be beneficial to that person if you do that? Is it going to help them grow to know Jesus more? 
and love him better? Is it going to help them grow as a human being? Because that's what sex is for, isn't it? It's a life-giving thing. I mean, literally, you get babies from it, but also it gives us life. As you join yourself to somebody else in, in kind of complete giving yourself to them. We'll get onto that more in a second. But that's what it's for. So ask yourself, when you want to sleep with that person, is it going to help them? Is it going to build them up and encourage them? And what about this other question? All right, you're free to enjoy God's good gifts, but are you in danger of being mastered by it? Is it something that's going to come and dominate you? Because that's what God's good gifts often do when we fix our eyes on them. Family, wonderful thing. But they can suck all of our emotional life and time and energy so that that's all we ever think about. and We forget about Jesus, push him to the margins. Food, we can do that with food. Can't we get into all sorts of trouble? We can do it with work, something good God gave to us before the fall. And we can make it our whole life so you never see your family, you never see your spouse. All you do is work to, I don't know, make yourself feel better or more important or get more money. You see, we can take any of God's good gifts and they can become our masters. If we take our minds off Jesus, it's right to enjoy work. It's beautiful to have a a, a wonderful family and to be brought into the family of God. It's good to enjoy food. These are all good things God gives to us, but are they going to boss you around? You see, freedom needs a fence, doesn't it? If you pass your driving test as a youngster in in Ammonford, you need to go through that great rite of passage of driving yourself to McDonald's. Don't you? At the top of the hill, up in cross hands. That is basically what we do to grow up and prove we're adults now. But imagine if once you've got that great freedom of having a car, you just decide to drive it wherever you want. Drive it across the grass, drive it across the curbs, drive the wrong way through the drive through um, It's not going to work, isn't it? Freedom, the freedom of having a car needs a road, needs white lines, needs fences, needs high curbs, so you don't run people over, so you don't hit other cars, so you get your food in the drive through right? So you don't just have to, I don't know, steal other people's food or mess the system up as you go around the wrong way. Freedom needs fences, doesn't it? If you want freedom to stay free, for it to be good and life-giving and not just life-sucking and destructive, it's a kind of a weird paradox to kind of get into our heads, isn't it? Freedom has to have fences. That's Paul's first principle. And God's fences are really good ones because they help us to grow. So are you a Christian? Look, you're free to enjoy God's good gifts as you love him and others. But ask those questions. Is this going to help them? And am I at risk of getting owned by this thing? Or am I using it to honor God and to thank him? Or is it using me and crushing me? There's our first principle of freedom. The second one is all about the body. If you want to write it down, this is the principle. Your body is for Jesus forever. Your body is made for Jesus forever. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food. Or pleasure for the body and the body for pleasure. But is that all our bodies are? Are we just bundles of nerve endings with no greater purpose than to take pleasure in sex or food or whatever and then die and have our spirits released into some greater spiritual experience? Well, Paul says, no, that's not what your body's for. Your body isn't just a bundle of nerve endings to to enjoy stuff with. There's a much deeper and richer and more life-giving purpose to it. The body is meant for the Lord. Do you say that? See that? He takes their phrase, food for the body and the body for food, and he, he rewires it with Jesus in it. Jesus is meant for the body, and the body is meant for Jesus. Not for sexual immorality, not for just taking stuff and enjoying it for the fun of it, but for honoring the Lord. 
See, what you do with your body has eternal significance. Because your body isn't confined to this world. We're much, much more than mammals. How do we know? Because the same body that you have, the same kind of body that you have, was taken on by God himself, who became body, became flesh, who lived as we do, who struggled physically as we do, who was tempted as we are, who suffered the unnatural wrenching apart of body and soul in death. He suffered that as we do. And then he rose again in a remade physical body. We'll get to that on Easter Sunday gloriously and see Jesus eating breakfast with other people. It says that here in verse, in verse 13. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. Do you see where we're getting that principle from? Your body was made for Jesus. And Jesus is what your body needs. And he's going to raise it from the dead on the last day. So not a single piece of your dust will be lost. Jesus values the dust of your body so much that he took on a body and now lives in a body forever and will raise up your body to live with him in a body forever. So your body is really important. The, the Corinthians got that idea of it not being important from the Greek philosophers. You know, the soul is what's really important. The body doesn't matter all that much. We've basically taken that in and forgotten about the philosophers. We think our souls, our kind of spirits, our psychology, as we call it these days, is most important. I can do whatever I want with my body. It doesn't really matter. But, but Jesus says, through Paul, no, your body's really, really important. He made your body. Your body was made for him, and you need him for life and breath and everything. So our lives should be lived for him and dedicated to his priorities. There's all sorts of other little snippets of this in the rest of the passage. Do you know your bodies are members of Christ himself? As in, our bodies are parts of his body? That when you become a Christian, there's something kind of deep and spiritually wonderful that happens where you're connected to Jesus and he to you, that you're in him, in Christ. And so what you then do with your body, Christ is doing with his body. And what happens to your body is happening to Jesus. So when we suffer, Jesus suffers with us. That's a wonderful truth if you're going through hard times. That's not our subject today, but it works the other way around. If we go and take our bodies and unite them to sexual immorality, do stuff with them that's sinful, doesn't that just make your skin crawl? To think that that's what you're doing to Jesus? You're taking Jesus' body and, and doing stuff that just doesn't fit. It just doesn't fit with reality of who he's made us. That's what Paul says here. Do you not know your bodies are members of Christ? So shall I take them and make the members of Christ united with a prostitute? Never. Don't you know who you are? Don't you remember? Christ came in a body and was raised in a body. He'll raise you up. And he's so united right now by his spirit in your body that you can say a few verses later. Do you not know, verse 19, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Go and look up some stats on how enormous the galaxy is and how enormous the universe is, how many billions of light years across. The enormous God who holds all of that impossible to imagine space in his hand lives in you, has made you his home. So what do you want to do with that home? What do you want to do with that body? You really want to go and do sexual immorality with that? With your mind? Christ's mind? With your eyes? Christ's mind? No, of course we don't. It should make our skin grow. 
shouldn't. It should be deeply challenging, deeply upsetting. Paul says, no, let me rewire your mind. Understand what freedom is. Freedom needs fences. That's a good thing from God. Your bodies are forever for Jesus. And a third thing, you need to understand marriage. Marriage is something for uniting, for bringing people together. So don't divide what God has united. So a quick word on marriage, and then we'll think about practice. We've got another week on this, by the way, in a couple of weeks' time after St. David's, uh, St. David's Day next Sunday, uh, where we have a bit of a break from 1 Corinthians. We're going to come back to it and look at marriage and singleness in a little bit more detail. But what is marriage all about? What is sex all about? Well, Paul tells us right here. Do you not know, verse 16, do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one flesh with her, is one with her in body? For it said, the two will become one flesh. That's Paul quoting from Genesis. What's he saying there? He's not just saying, he who sleeps with a prostitute sleeps with a prostitute. He who unites himself with somebody else in the body unites himself with them in a He's not saying that. He's saying something a bit more deep and less obvious than that. He's saying that when you sleep with somebody or when you think about them sexually, when you do whatever it is you do with your body sexually with somebody else, it binds you to them. It makes you one flesh with them. That's not just like a kind of mathematical, biological, you kind of get stuck together with them. It's... And we know what that is, don't we? It's why it's so painful when you tear that apart. It's why it's so damaging when you get betrayed. It's why it's so deeply wonderful and good in the first place. Because God has made this as superglue that sticks people together. Like I said with lust before, lust is saying, what can I get from you? Love is saying, what can I give to you? Well, sexual intimacy is the, probably one of the deepest expressions of love that we have as humanity, isn't it? What does it take Well, the Bible's view is this. What it takes is for you to give yourself completely, permanently, exclusively to somebody else. That when you're naked with them, I'm sorry this is awkward, but you're holding nothing back from them. Literally. That that is the only place where that is a good and life-giving thing. When you give yourself to somebody in body, that you are not just taking from them some pleasure, and experience, but you are giving yourself completely to them. Does that make sense? I mean, you give to them all that you are in body, and that you do that in a context where you've given them all that you are financially, and emotionally, and in your future, and with your career, and as everything that you have, like we promise in marriage services, all that I have, I give to you, and all that I am, I share with you. Jesus is saying, Paul's saying, the Bible's saying right here that that is the only proper place for sex. In your mind, with your eyes, with your body, the only proper place is when you have completely given yourself to somebody else. Because sex is not about taking, it's about giving. Giving yourself, remember these things, exclusively. It's a zero-sum game because if you've given yourself to one person, you can't at the same time be giving yourself to somebody else. One person exclusively, one person fully. You hold nothing back and one person permanently. Because, I mean, it's biologically demonstrated, what happens when you um, sleep with somebody releases all sorts of hormones and kind of unites you deeply spiritually with that person, sticks you together with them. In our culture, we've turned sex into something that's the opposite. It's fleeting rather than permanent. It's, It's temporary. It's cheap. 
It's not full and permanent and exclusive. It's something that you take rather than something that you give. That's what Paul is saying here, that you have given yourself to the Lord Jesus. So you're one with him, and the only place to use the body that's his body is if you have given yourself completely to somebody else like that in marriage, exclusively, fully, and permanently. And so, of course, it's going to cause us great damage and great pain when we tear that apart. So, are you feeling guilty yet? Are you feeling like, oh, I really am a sexual sinner? I know what I've done. I know what I've thought. I know what I've looked at. Is there any hope for me? Maybe you're thinking that you're single and you'd love to know that kind of closeness with somebody else, that kind of life-giving closeness where you build each other up and, and help that person grow as you give yourself to them and they to you. Maybe you're feeling like you're missing out. Well, listen to what Paul says next. The two will become one flesh. Verse 17, but he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Do you not know, verse 19, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you've received from God? So if you want to know that kind of intimacy, you can know it through knowing Jesus. Because sexual intimacy is a picture of what it is to know Jesus. Because Jesus is somebody who gives himself to us exclusively, who gives himself to us fully, and who gives himself to us permanently, and then comes and asks us and says, will you give yourself to me exclusively? No other gods, nothing else controlling you. Will you come and know me? Will you give yourself to me fully? Will you give yourself to me permanently? And then each of us really looks at our hearts and we know, I haven't done that. I have really messed up in this area. I know what I've seen. I know what I've thought. I know what I've done. I want to know that intimacy. But it's hard enough to get it with somebody that you're married to because of all the sin that's in the way and the history and the stuff that's there. Let alone with God who I've turned away from, God, who I've taken the keys to the house, slammed the door and walked away to go with somebody else. We've betrayed God. That's a picture of sin, isn't it? None of us are free from sexual sin. So what do we do about that? What do we do about that? Well, we need to remember what Christ has done for us. Not just who he's made us as people, not just what he's made us for, but that he's bought us for a price that we're no longer our own, but we're bought with a price. There's a beautiful story in the Old Testament of a man called Hosea. He's one of God's prophets. God tells him to marry a girl who's going to break his heart. Um, she's a prostitute. She's somebody who already is living a life like that and is probably most certainly going to do it again at some point. And so, but God tells him anyway, go and find her, marry her. And one day, after they've had kids and kind of lived together for a while, she leaves him again disappears, goes after other men, who knows how many, um, but just disappears and finds herself destitute. One day she finds herself hauled up on a bidding block in a marketplace to be sold as a slave, as a sex slave for somebody. She's completely destitute. She's lost everything. She left the man who loved her for something else that promised so much and delivered so little. And you just really don't want to imagine what's going to happen next with her standing up there on the bidding block. But but it's the only option that she has left. She knows she's a mess, but what can she do? So bidding begins, and she hears a familiar voice. Five shekels, 10 shekels. Wondering, where have I heard that voice before? 15 shekels, done, sold. And then she sees who it was, standing at the back of the room in the auction house, 
she sees it's Hosea, her old husband, who's come and bought her after all that she's done. And so she goes, cowering with her eyes down. She can't look him in the face. She walks up to him, and I can imagine her mouth is dry. She's expecting to, I don't know, to be beaten, to be dragged home, to be shamed and embarrassed. You can imagine everybody else in the room looking at him and thinking, he's supposed to be a man of God. What is he doing here? What? And then when he starts bidding, what on earth is he doing bidding for a prostitute? Does he know who she is? What are you even doing here, Hosea? He's embarrassed. She's embarrassed. And then they come together. And instead of beating her, instead of driving her away, instead of yelling at her, he says, come home, Gomer, and embraces her and brings her home. What is going on? She doesn't get a cold shoulder. She doesn't get harsh words. She gets open arms and an embrace. And do you know why God told him to do that? Because that is a picture of what God has done for you and for me. That's what it's talking about when it says that you have been bought with a price. Not just that God made you and knows how life fits together, so follow him. That's not enough for us. We've already broken it and messed it up a thousand times. No, the good news is Jesus has come to us in our mess, come to us in our complete naked shame, and he's taken us and said, I want you. I mean, in front of everybody, he's walked in front of the world, and he was naked and ashamed, and people spat on him and beat him and mocked him and thought, what are you doing? Are you really claiming, you really think that you're God? He walked up a hill for us, naked, carrying a cross, and was nailed to it to take all of our sin away. He was naked so you could be clothed. He died so you could know life. He has given himself completely and fully and finally without anything held back to you. Will you take him? Isn't that the most remarkable proposal you ever heard? I mean, maybe you were surprised if you were married when that person asked you to marry them. Maybe you realized you were punching above your weight and you're kind of just hoping that they haven't realized it yet. But this is the ultimate love story, isn't it? Of God himself who stepped down into the world and said, I want you. Everybody laughing at him. Everybody saying, what are you thinking taking a bride like that? But he comes to each one of us and says, give me your shame. I'll throw it into the sea. Give me your dirty rags that you're wearing. I'll burn them up like an oily cloth. Give it to me and I will wrap you in my arms. I'll clothe you in myself. I've given all of myself to you. Now, what do you want to hold back from me? I've given my body for you. Now, do you really want to use your body to just feed yourself some pleasure that will be bitter in the end anyway? I mean, we all know what that feels like. Jesus comes to us and gives himself to us, body and soul. Will you hold yourself back from him today? Or will you say, no, I want to belong, body and soul, to my Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ? Not as a piece of property, but no, to belong to him as a cherished bride, to be his home sweet home, as in for him to come and live with you, to be his very own body. What an, what an astonishing privilege that is, that he invites us. I mean, people like us, with our kind of sexual history. And he says, come on, come and be clean. Come and don't be ashamed. Come and let me put you back together. Let me give you white robes to wear. And let me take you for eternity to know what it really is to have intimacy. Do you see who Jesus is? Do you see he, that he is the ultimate lover? Do you see that he has made you to fall into his arms on that final day? To have all of your sin and failure washed away, to be clean and light and free. I mean properly free. 
Not free to abuse others, free to do whatever we want, free to crash. No, free to live and to love, to, to be loved and to know life for eternity. That's what Jesus invites us to today. So what do we do? Well, three quick things. Run. Run away from sexual immorality. That's what Paul says in verse 18. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually against, a sin sexually, sins against his own body. Realize the seriousness of that and just run away from it. I mean, lots of other sins are kind of against our body. If you drink yourself to death, that's kind of against your body, isn't it? What he's talking about here is that sex is supposed to draw you together. It's supposed to build you and give you life. That intimacy you have with somebody where you fully give yourself to them, it kind of gives you life and builds you up and makes you who, who you're supposed to be, doesn't it? That life-giving love. And that's a picture of what, it, of, of what it is between you and Christ. So if you sin like that, well, it'll take you away from Christ and from that life of the body that you really need. That's what it means, to sin, that it's sinning against your own body. Sinning against your ability to be united to Christ, united to somebody else, to have life. So one, run away from sexual immorality. But two, if you haven't done that already, that's each one of us, well, you really need to know that there's healing, that there is forgiveness, that there's fullness. You need to hear that this morning, that that is for you, that this is not the unforgivable sin. That it's painful to admit things and confess them and say sorry, that there might be consequences to that. But it, there'll be consequences that ultimately give you life and bind you up and make you what Christ has intended for you to be. So run away from temptation. But if you've already run into its jaws and it's bitten you, then come to Jesus. Remember, remember who you are. You were made for him and he for you. He stands there with open arms, so come to him. Bring it all to him. Let him wash you and clean you. Run, remember who you are, and then go today remembering whose you are, who you belong to. Brothers and sisters, you are not your own. Your body is not a plaything for you to do whatever you want with. Your body belongs to him, and his body belongs to you. You are not your own. You were bought at a price, the price of his own precious blood. So honor God with your body. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much again for your word. Lord, we thank you for your spirit who helps us to understand. Lord, we pray if there's anybody here feeling condemned, feeling ashamed, would you give us courage to come to you, to bring all of our sins before you. And Lord, we pray that you would give us that sweetness of knowing freedom, of knowing forgiveness of knowing cleansing, of knowing our shame covered. Father, we pray that you would work in our hearts to bring those things to you and know that life today. Lord, for any of us in here who don't know you at all, we pray that you would help us to do that, to bring ourselves body and soul before you and say, I want to know you. Lord, that we might have that wonderful opportunity and experience of falling into the arms of the Lord Jesus on the final day and belonging to him, body and soul. Father, we thank you for um, these words in Scripture, that they're honest with us about even our darkest corners. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be honest with you and honest with one another, that we might know life, that we might belong to you, not just as your creations, but as your redeemed bride. Lord, help us to be yours, we pray. Help us to know what that is. Help us to remember who we are and whose we are, that we might go and love you and serve you and honor you and honor one another with our bodies. Amen. hope that you found today's message useful and challenging. 
and we want to take a moment to offer you some next steps that you can take right now. Why not get in touch with us via email at contact at amforchurch.com if you have any follow-up questions or things that you'd like to discuss. If you want to know more about what's going on at Amford Church, make sure to like us on Facebook. And lastly, check out our YouTube channel for video teaching in addition to our sermon podcasts. Thanks for listening.